<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Thursday, April 27th. 2023. It's about 2.30 in the afternoon here on the East Coast of the United States. Larry Johnson uh, joins us for his um, weekly time with us. Larry, deeply grateful as always Thank for you, all Jim. the insight. Sure, for all the insight that you uh, bring us. Um, so here we are a week from May, week from May 1st, actually just a couple of days from May 1st. May 1st is this weekend. Whatever happened to the Ukrainian offensive that President Zelensky has been promising? Uh, it's being announced like a summer blockbuster coming soon to a theater near you. It just <laughs> it just keeps getting postponed. Uh, the, the problem they have is they've got the concept. They know what they want to do. It's like uh, you living on in a, in a one-room house and saying, you know, I'd love to live in the penthouse in Trump Tower. It's one thing to have the one, but do you have the money? Do you have the material? Do you have what is required to carry out that offensive? And the Ukrainians don't have it. They, they just can't magically produce soldiers. Uh, and, and just because they're throwing warm bodies into the mix doesn't mean that those guys that have been pressed into service actually know how to conduct military operations as a unit and interact with other units, much less not having artillery, fixed-wing air support, et cetera. What about... Um NATO and the U.S. Has this war shown NATO to be a, a weakling incapable of producing armaments uh, at a time and at a place when its leadership thinks it's needed? Or, or does the war show that the United States no longer leads NATO? Both. Uh, what, what, what the war in Ukraine has exposed is that one of the reasons the United States and the rest of the NATO partners kept wanting to expand NATO is they recognized they didn't have the resources on their own to sustain it. They did not have the troop strength to create the manpower levels that they wanted. So how do you fix that? You bring in more members. This was the, you know, sort of a, a salesman's marketing plan. Uh, increase the number of customers that you're bringing in under your roof. At the same time, the, none of the none of the industrial systems in France, Germany, United Kingdom, and United States have ever been tested in the way that they are being tested now. That oh my God, we need to produce twenty thousand hundred and fifty five military shells a week. Let's get going, guys. And they go well, yeah, we can get you that twenty thousand a month in about a year. So wow. you know, it, it becomes all of a sudden the revelation that the what was once a robust industrial capability in this country has disappeared. I mean, I saw, I grew up in Independence, Missouri, and the, the industrial companies, the Sheffield Steel, Ar, uh, later Armco Steel, Standard Oil, Bendix Corporation, Alice Chalmers, the General Motors had two plants at Leeds and Fairfax. They're all gone. 
So that industrial base is gone, and with it goes the skilled machinists, the, the mechanics, the electricians, the people who know how to build things. That's what has been missing in the United States right now over the last 30 years. Does NATO or, or do any NATO countries besides the U.S. Uh, and the U.K., as far as you know from your sources, uh, have um, troops in Ukraine? Uh, Poland does. Um, okay. And, and there are also some Germans. Uh, I'm not sure that the none of the NATO countries have officially sent folks in sub rosa. I think more and more often than not, with the exception of Poland, I think Poland has committed some of its own military force uh, to go in and, and dress up as Ukrainians. But uh, there are a number of mercenaries and, and they're getting killed from Spain to Italy to France to Germany to Finland, Sweden, uh, across the board. So uh, this morning on uh, <clears throat> Judging Freedom, mutual friend of ours, Alistair uh, Crook, uh, was uh, discussing, you know, as he, as he loves to and, and can do so well, uh, the, the cultural and ideological woes uh, of Europe. And he segued into your field and uh, Colonel McGregor's field and said his understanding from his perch uh, in Italy and his sources is that the Ukrainians have been reduced to getting four week, five week, six week wonders, 16, 17 year old boys, shipping them to the front in the dark, in the nighttime, telling them to get a good night's sleep, usually in a trench filled with water. And then when they wake up, they can see the Russian guns. They see how close they are. They don't fight. They run away. If this is true, and I have no reason to to doubt Alistair, how can a, a military survive? Well, it cannot. Anybody that's gone into the U.S. military, whether the Marine Corps, the Army, even you know the Navy and the Air Force, understands there's that initial period of basic training. I believe in the Army now it's like 13 weeks. And mm. in those 13 weeks, you learn how to do personal hygiene in the field. You learn how to assemble, disassemble, your firearm. You learn how to march as a unit, to move as a unit. You learn to communicate. You learn what the chain of care. There's a lot of things that you need to learn in order to be able to operate in a combat environment. You don't learn how to run away. Yeah, well, that comes natural. You know, people people are born with that natural desire to survive once they realize they're in a difficult situation. And what, what we're seeing Ukraine do is they're, they're even shortcutting the basic training part mm. because they don't have secure locations within Ukraine where people can show up. Apart from that, you don't have Ukrainian boys and men lining up at recruiting offices to fight for the cause. They're just the opposite. They're having to go out and press gang these people into service. And, and oftentimes what the, what the Ukrainians are doing is they're taking people from the Russian speaking areas, forcing them into the army and then sending them to the front lines where they're killed. It, it, it's, a, it's a form of genocide, if you will, mm. to eliminate the Russian speakers and to have the Russians do it for them. Uh, a Ukrainian general, I don't know if he's active duty or retired, by the name of Sergei Melnik, M-E-L-N-I-K, mm -hmm. uh, was quoted just a few days ago as saying, this is a startling number and a startling statement from a Ukrainian general. Kiev 
needs up to six times more troops and firepower than Russia for its counteroffensive to succeed. Kyiv needs more troops, ammunition, and equipment to continue its military conflict with Moscow. Kyiv is now relying on, quote, this is just what you said, Larry, people without military training or experience. Right. Do you know of this general? How could he get away with saying this? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd heard of him. I think he'd, he'd, he was retired a year or so ago. Look, it's, it's, it's a simple math problem. And I know there are some people in our country now, Judge, that have problem with basic addition and subtraction. But just do the addition and subtraction. Right now, Ukraine has a population, total population of about 25 million. The other 15, 20 million have abandoned the country. Uh, Russia's population is 180 million. So let's just assume that everybody's getting killed at the same rate. Ukraine's going to run out of manpower well before Russia does, number one. But number two, Russia is firing six to seven times the amount of shells that Ukraine's able to fire. And that means they're going to cause six to seven times the amount of casualties simply by virtue of the volume of fire. And Ukraine can't replace that. That's, that's just the unalterable fact. According to uh, the documents that the government claims were solely released by a 21-year-old part-time Air National Guardsman, uh, the Russians are killing six to seven uh, times the number of people. That kill ratio uh, is mind-boggling. Of course, according to our friend Jack Devine, it's the other way around. It's the Ukrainians are killing six to seven. I don't know where he gets this from. I've never heard it from any other source. Uh, the Ukrainians are killing six to seven times the Russians. Again, it's, it's just a simple matter of who's shooting what. So the Russians, not the Ukrainians, are fighting, are flying fixed wing combat aircraft. Ukraine is not. Russia has ample artillery and artillery supplies and is firing a rate of six, eight, some say 10 times the rate of Ukraine. And that's, that's not my opinion. That's acknowledged even by NATO, the fact that they're running short of shells to supply to Ukraine. So I've asked simply, asked Jack, Jack, how in the world does the side that's firing seven to eight times more shells is the one that's suffering eight times the casualties? Uh, the Ukrainians may be brave fighters, but they're not, you know, we're not dealing with Annie Oakley here in terms of accuracy, uh, being sharpers. So this, it's just, uh, this General Melnick, even if uh, retired, uh, is this a dangerous statement for him to make uh, in a society that's uh, crumbling and whose uh, leaders might view this as though truthful, traitorous? As people like Tucker Carlson have learned, telling the truth is a dangerous profession. Uh, it is just, there's no reward for it when a government has opted for a particular narrative, a particular meme, and anybody who dares counter that uh, ends up being attacked. I mean, that's that's why the old, the old fable, the old story about the king with no clothes was written in the first place, because right. they recognize this is part of the human condition, that it, there is... Uh, a tendency to worship those in power and tell them what they want to hear. And it takes the innocence of a child to speak up and say, wait a second, he's naked. He doesn't have anything on. Right. And that's 
we're, we're in that kind of situation, Judge. I just I just had lunch with an individual who is one of the ones predicting the collapse in 2008, the 2008 economic collapse. And he was with a group of people making that prediction in 2007, and they took appropriate actions to protect themselves. We're in the same kind of situation now, but it, it's a political collapse, and a military collapse that we're on the verge of. We, a few of us, you know, Doug McGregor, Scott Ritter, uh, Phil Giraldi, Alistair Crook, we see it coming. That's why we're trying to warn people. That's why we so appreciate you putting out the warning. And, and yet so few are listening. So few are listening. How can uh, Secretary General Stoltenberg say with a straight face, A, we are with you, Ukraine, as long as it takes, and B, I don't know how the Kremlin takes this. Your place is in NATO. Yeah, well, it, it further confirms, at least from the Russian standpoint, that NATO is hell-bent on destroying Russia, and Russia, by recognizing it as an existential threat, is going to treat it accordingly and be prepared for combat across the board. I, I mean, there's some really crazy rumors starting to circulate in the West that Biden's thinking about putting U.S. pilots in F-16s, having them fly into combat, uh, that the British Ministry of Defense has actually announced out front that it is sending uh, the, the uranium rounds uh, to to uh, Ukraine, to the battlefield. It is, which, I'm sorry, I missed what you said. Sending what? The, the, the uranium-tipped uh, round artillery shells that are going to be used to penetrate tanks uh, that the, the Russians have already indicated. That's a red line. That, and and then when, they, when they draw a red line, they mean it. So the potential of this to escalate out of control uh, is, is, is growing with each passing day. And I, I, what I fear is that with the military collapse of Ukraine, NATO, instead of taking a step back, a deep breath and saying, okay, we need to recalibrate, are, are going to actually press harder and may do something extremely stupid. I want to put uh, up on the screen a map that you uh, sent to us uh, this morning, and maybe you can describe what we see there. So let's start with the left. What are the blue circles, Larry? For the blue, yeah, this was this was actually April twenty fifth at about uh, six p.m. in the Ukraine time okay. uh, in the evening, showing sites where air raid warnings were going off. So all of those are sites where there is either fixed-wing aircraft dropping bombs and or rockets, missiles, uh, and drones coming in for the attack. When you look at that entire, you know, it's like a, a reverse C starting at the top and then going down and, and back to the left. Right. Uh, that's 850, 950 kilometers right there. That's a fair, pretty fair distance. Right. Uh, and uh, what that shows is that the, the Russians are carrying out attacks all along that line of conflict, which means it puts the uh, great strain on the Ukrainians because the Ukrainians, just by virtue of numbers, can't match what Russia has. All right, what what are the what are the red circles? The, the red circles show either uh, artillery strikes and or airstrikes. Russian uh, artillery strikes and Russian airstrikes. Correct. Exactly right. So. It is, uh, you know, and it's particularly intense there in the middle where that's the Donetsk Republic, where you have the fighting in places like Avdivka, uh, Bakhmut, and then uh, further south, Marienka. And so, uh, you know, Russia is not just hung up fighting one. 
Christ. But, you know, like active eyes, oh, the Russians are struggling as an army. The United States could never carry out this kind of military operation, was unable to, failed to do so in Afghanistan, failed to do so in Iraq, and failed to do so with more troops in place than what Russia is using right now. I mean, it's just, you know, those of us in America need to sort of wake up and stop lying to ourselves about our prowess and capability. We've proven that we can't, we have trouble dealing with goat herders with uh, AK-47s. Right, right. Gary, you can take the, um, take the map down. Um, how many uh, Russian troops uh, are there at the um, area where the red dots were, where it shows the westward progress of the Russian military? And how many Ukrainian troops? And how many Ukrainian troops are there to attempt to resist them? Do we have actual real numbers? No, uh, the, the numbers per uh, no way to corroborate this is that the Russians are sitting around two hundred thousand that are actually out there on the front lines engaged with combat all along that uh, line of engagement, and that the Ukrainians are at about one hundred and seventy-five thousand. What what it neglects to point out is that the Russians are sitting on reserves well in excess of three, 400,000. And by that combat reserves that have been trained now, they've had six months of training. And uh, these troops then can be inserted and moved and deployed where needed. So that's why, you know, Russia, again, is looking at some clear, clear tactical advantages on the battlefield that Ukraine just doesn't have. When you say in the article you sent me this morning, in every case, Ukrainian forces are retreating right is this your opinion or is this a statement of objective fact objective fact i i define anyone point to me one area on that map where the russians are in a defensive position and that the ukrainians have pushed them back pushed them out and seized control of that territory hasn't happened what is what happens is you know people like jack divine indulge in this uh, piece of sophistry that they point to what happened in Kherson and what happened in Kharkiv. Well, Russia Russia had border police in those area in the in Kharkiv area, and the, the decision out of to withdraw to Kherson was to move the troops from one side of the river to the other so that they could not possibly be trapped and force the Russians to have to undertake a very difficult logistical resupply. Those were done at the, because of Russian choices not because they were forced militarily by a superior uh, ground force on the other part of Ukraine. Since then, though, we've seen Mariupol, that, the, you know, the Ukrainians were crushed there. They couldn't, they had no answer. They couldn't send reinforcements. They could do nothing to stop the Russians. Russians took control of it. We saw it in Lysychansk, which is one of the predecessor battles last August, out, out, uh, which is to the east of Bakhmut. So the Russians have been steadily moving forward. The people want to say, oh, well, they're not moving quickly enough. What? They're on no time clock. This this is not like uh, March Madness Final Four game where, you know, you've got 15 seconds left and you got to score three points. The Russians have plenty of time. They're not running out of artillery shells. They're not running out of weapons. Going back to where we started, is it safe to conclude that there will be because they're can be no Ukrainian spring offensive, no matter what President Zelensky uh, preaches to the West. 
Yeah, that I, it's going to be what's going to happen will be a slaughter. Whatever force is assembled, and we know from the leaked CIA documents that it's going to be between uh, 25 and 60,000 men. It just depends on the manpower that they can assemble. Uh, as they push forward, they're not going to be covered with air support. Uh, they're going to have minimal, limited artillery support. They're not going to have any kind of integrated air defense that could shoot down Russian aircraft that are coming to attack them. And, and in fact, the Russian aircraft had the advantage, advantage with these glide bombs that are in the size of 500, 1500, and 3000 kilograms. They can launch those from a distance of up to 50 kilometers and it glides in and the effect is devastating. So these, any, any force movement and any kind of concentration is gonna be met with a barrage of artillery and, and bombs and this is before they get to the defensive positions, the razor wire, the minefields, the dragon's teeth that the Russians have spent the last six months building. It's, it's a suicide mission. And we now know that senior American military, we, we know from the documents, the leaked documents, that senior American military officials know what you just said. Yeah. They, they, at least the information is there for them to know whether they choose to read it and understand it and comprehend it. Whole nother thing. But we what do they choose to tell the president? Yeah. What do they choose to tell Jake Sullivan? Yeah. Well, the, the, having, having been involved in the past with uh, the job or the task of trying to brief a president on unwelcome news, um, sometimes those with the information will just back away and not do it because they know that they're going to be shut down, turned away, or shunned. Uh, it is, it's just a sad reality that these, these people don't embrace getting bad news. And, and yet you're starting to see the signs that, that they recognize it may not quite be the rosy picture that they thought. And word is leaking out in publications like Politico and others that are very friendly to the Biden administration that, in fact, uh, this offensive is likely to fail. What is your take on the very uh, well-publicized 90-minute-long telephone conversation between President Xi of China and President Zelensky uh, of Ukraine? I think it had two basic messages. Two, two, because note, Xi Jinping has not returned any phone calls from Joe Biden yet. The Chinese have not called back uh, Gen Lloyd Austin or General Milley. Uh, the, the, the Chinese sent word finally to uh, Zelensky, okay, we'll take your call. And the essence of that call was, you better not do anything to meddle with Taiwan. Taiwan is ours, and if, we can, if you're going to be involved with anything that is going to undermine the rightful ownership of the government of China over Taiwan, that's going to be a problem for you. Number two, uh, it was it, China put out uh, a, a, a safety line, if you will, to try to rescue Ukraine from certain destruction. And you know, we'll be happy as we did with the Saudis and Iran to try to uh, broker uh, a, a truce and a settlement. Now, note what's interesting in this: Zelensky did this without the permission of Washington. The well, word you, is you, that antici you anticipated my next question. I can't imagine that Washington uh, is happy with this. Furious, furious, because they see this for what it is. This is Zelensky starting to prepare his own escape route. You know, I, th I think Zelensky even privately now realizes 
that they're coming to the end of this. So it's get the money you can, get out while you can, and try to figure out an exit plan that's not going to wind up with you getting killed. Uh, I think it's that simple. Uh, the Chinese are in a, in a remarkably strong position. They're playing their hand very smartly around the world. You don't see China bullying or threatening anybody. China hasn't said, you either do what we want or else we're going to impose sanctions on you. No, the only person doing that is Joe Biden, Jake Sullivan, Janet Yellen, Anthony Blinken. The United States is coming across to the world as nothing but a contemptible bully. And that's not how that's not how you win diplomatic wars. Larry Johnson, always a pleasure. No matter uh, whether the news is good or bad, it's always right on. Thank you so much for joining us, my friend. Thank you, Judge. More as we get it. Uh, Scott Ritter at 3.30 this afternoon, Eastern. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.